we've been in this series at Main Campus, and um, it's called Revive, and we've been talking about this idea of revival, and I, I, uh, I initiated this series because I, I felt like in my own life and in the, the church, not just Seacoast, but in kind of the, the more, uh, the church in the United States, I've been looking at it and thinking, something drastic has to change. So here's one of my biggest learnings over the last probably 20 years of my life. And uh, it is that change is very, very difficult. Like any kind of change that you try to initiate in your own life is difficult. But then when, if you ever try to help somebody else change, you push them towards some change, it is almost impossible. And I know that's kind of depressing a little bit because there's so many things about you and about the world that you would like to change. And, and you've been told if you put your mind to it, you can do it and you're going to change the world, little buddy, and it's going to be great. And the, the bummer... Uh, learning for me is that is not even close to the truth, is change is very, very difficult. Um, And so as I've been watching people and watching my own life and how I continue to repeat the same patterns and the same destructive behaviors, and I watch other people just continue to blow up their lives, I think, okay, how many sermons do we need to hear, right, until we finally get it? Is there another sermon? Am I going to say something that's going to go, you're going to, that's what it is. I knew it. I knew I shouldn't be an alcoholic. Like, that was the sermon that got me. No, like, we know. I would say that 99% of the stuff in our life, we know that we shouldn't be doing it. We know that it's unhealthy. We know where that it's going to end up in life. But for some reason, there's something in us that we just can't not do it. It's not a lack of knowledge. It's a a lack of something else. And it might be willpower, but I'm not even sure that's it either. And so as I began thinking about this idea of how do we see significant change? Like with those kinds of change that we've seen throughout history and there's been these things called revivals that have taken place and they go all the way back into the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was these revivals in which people who were spiritually apathetic or even dead, God would speak to them in a really profound and intense and impactful way and they would start to awaken to spiritual things and there would be significant change that would happen. And so as I... Uh, as I as I've been spinning my wheels, thinking, what, is this, what do we say? What do we do? How do we help people to change? And I think all those are, are valid questions, but I don't think that they're the right question. I think that the, 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 the right question is, um, what do we do in order, to, um, in order to prepare ourselves for God to show up? Because I really, that's the, kind of the answer that I've come up with, is I can't really do anything. Most of the time, I can't do anything to change myself. I can't do anything to change you or this community or anything. And so I've got to really pray that God shows up and does this thing called revival in my own life and in this church and in the community. And so I began talking about what does revival look like? And historically, there's different elements that have gone along with a, a revival. When God shows up and he awakens people, that there seems to be some common elements between all of them. And the first uh, passage that I went over was um, a a story about Josiah. And Josiah, if you're not a church person, or even if you are, you might not be super familiar with it. But the story of Josiah, I think, has a lot of the elements of revival, and rightly so, because it is um, probably the biggest revival that we see in the Old Testament, is that we have a nation of Israel, and if you don't have any real Bible background, you have the nation of Israel, they're God's chosen people. He raises them up, speaks to them, and then through them is going to bless the entire world. And their responsibility is to stay faithful to God. 
except they continue to rebel against God. Eventually, they rebel so badly that he ends up destroying half of the nation, and the, the, the lower half is just hanging on barely. And there's these uh, succession of kings, and they're all evil, and they're all rebelling against God, and God continues to discipline them. And in the midst of this, we have one king, Josiah, who shows up, and he actually commits to following God. And there's this revival that takes place. And so I want to look at just really quick this story. And I talked about this in our main campus, but I want to uh, kind of point out some of the things that I didn't get to say when I, uh, when I went over the story there. So it's in 2 Chronicles 34. If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, just jump in there with me. 2 Chronicles 34, they're not going to be on the screens. It's not up there, all right? So if you're going to follow along, you got to get on your phone, okay? I know, no texting, okay? No Instagram, unless you're Instagramming me. <laughs> okay, um, 2 Chronicles 34, 1. Yeah, it's in the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles 34, 1 says this, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. And so this may not mean a whole lot to you, but it tells us two things. One is that when Josiah became uh, the king, he was just a child, right? You imagine, have you ever hung out with an eight-year-old before? Maybe you have a cousin, you have a little brother or sister, and he's a, they're a disaster, right? Like eight-year-olds are a mess. Can you imagine one being like the president? <laughs> Sort of. Um, sorry. Hashtag politics. But he ends up becoming king at eight. So he's got a lot of maturing to do very quickly. And then he reigns for 31 years, which is a big deal because his father only reigned for two years because God ends up disciplining him and killing him right off the bat. And so the reign, um, how long he got to be king for 31 years is a big deal. All right. Continues on. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his ancestors, David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. There's a saying that God only serves revival on clean plates. And so if you were thinking about revival, either on a corporate or a personal level, and what I mean by revival is God bringing this intensification of his Holy Spirit into your life and into a group of people. If you want to see something like that happen, it has to begin with you honoring God with your life. Is As I look at my own life, and I'll be as transparent as I, I think I can be, is I have been a Christian for a very long time, and it becomes pretty routine. And maybe this is you as well, is I can show up at church, I can come and I can worship a little bit, we can listen to a message, we can go out, and really not much has changed in my life. Definitely my heart hasn't been moved at all. And so it just becomes something that is routine. And uh, in, in, it's in those moments when it's routine that I can start to wander, I can start to drift. And so the, the, the beginning of this gives us insight into what kind of heart, what is the, there's a parable Jesus talks about where he talks about the conditions of the soil, right? And he talks about throwing the seed and there's different kinds, there's ones that are solid and they're, that's like the condition of someone's heart's being, being solid and so they can't penetrate it. And then there's ones that's full of weeds and I think that in order for revival to begin, you have to have a soft heart. You have to be open for God to move. Because God gives us this thing called free will, and he's not going to, uh, he respects the free will that he gave you. And so he's not going to do something that you don't want, right? At least as far as moving in that way. So revival begins with holy living. First Peter 1.14 says this, As obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. And so the, I think a thing that we've lost as Christians 
is we've lost this idea of holiness and holy living. Is if you go back to my uh, my great grandmother, there was this back to holiness movement, and I obviously wasn't around to witness it, but I've heard lots of stories. And there's still some churches that practice it. And I think they had the heart in the right place, but they kind of, their practices were a little bit wacky. What I mean by this is they would read the Bible and what it said about holiness. And instead of making it about the heart and purifying the heart, they made it a lot about the actions. And so there would be things like you couldn't go to a movie theater no matter what. Like my dad grew up in a house where you were not allowed to step foot in a movie theater because they're evil. Doesn't matter if you're gonna go watch Toy Story 4, it doesn't matter what it is, you cannot go to a movie theater because it's evil. The other thing is they would wear their hair up. So women, you would not be able to wear your hair down. You wouldn't be able to wear makeup, no jewelry, no nothing like that, because this is how they viewed holiness. Now, I like the idea of they were so concerned about holiness. I just think that they were probably uh, as they as they practiced it, they kind of missed the point. And so there's this tension that we have to live in where Christians, we do not earn our salvation. It is a gift that we receive through faith. And yet we have to pursue holiness. And so there's these big theological terms, justification. We're justified by our faith in Christ. This is a gift given us. But then there's this process of sanctification, which is becoming more like him. And I think they have to go together. And so... Um, it says here that we are supposed to pursue holiness, this sanctification, this becoming more uh, like Jesus. And I don't know if this is true. You guys are what? What generation are you guys? You guys aren't millennials, are you millennials? Some of you guys are millennials. Some of you guys are what? Generation Y? Is, y or Z? Is there like another one that they're talking about now? I generation? Okay. That's my kids. Okay. All right. Um, what are you guys over here? You guys are looking just confused over here. You guys, Gen X, are you guys uh, millennials? They're millenn- this side of the room is millennials. Okay, I, okay, so you guys are millennials over here. That's why you're looking very serious because these children over here. Is that the, is that the problem? I get it. Yeah, okay. So I don't know. I'm not like super, I'm not super plugged in with um, people who are a lot younger than me, but here's kind of what's happened in the generation before me and within my generation. You can tell me if this applies to you or not is there's always a reaction to the previous generations. And this, this is a generalization, and it depends on kind of the family you were born into, the church, if you were raised in church or not, and kind of church and all that. But here's at least my observation, is there was a movement where people would be considered legalistic, meaning they looked at the Bible and they thought, okay, we need to follow all these rules so that God will love us. And so they are just very regimented in following the rules, and this is what the Pharisees did. And then, because we understand that we're saved by, by grace through faith, we have reacted to that, and we go to what I call Christian liberalism or Christian liberty. And we will, we will partake in certain things because we understand that we're not saved through our actions but through faith. So here's how this plays out, is I hear Christians saying, well, it's not, you know, because my faith is in Christ and it's through his gift— I don't have to uh, stop cussing. Uh, yeah, I understand that we're sleeping together and stuff, but look, I'm still saved because, um, you know, it's not through my, my works that I'm saved. And so there's this tension where we go, okay, well, what does salvation look like? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And it is accepting the gift and then living as if you've accepted it, right? And so one of the things that I started to challenge people, and it's really rubbed people the wrong way, and maybe it doesn't, part, uh, doesn't apply to you guys, but I have a feeling it does, is when it comes to things like alcohol. So uh, I, I started a bit of a, um, at our main campus, I started a bit of a uh, hot debate 
when I told people that one of the things that I have committed to is to never drink alcohol. And it's because I look at all the effects that alcohol has had on, on our culture, the obsession that we have, how many lives it's ruined, and the witness, me um, and other people looking at me and saying, well, okay, if he's a Christian and he's doing that, then I am okay to do that. So the story goes like this is, when I was little, um, I, was, uh, I, was in my shop, I was in the shopping cart, my mom was pushing me around, and there was someone from our church who was a leader. And as we were getting, uh, going through the story, we saw him, and I saw in his cart he had a 24-pack of beer. And I looked at him, and look, I'm a little kid, I don't know anything, and I look at him and I say, I thought you were a Christian, like as a little kid, right? Like, I thought you were a Christian. Why would you have alcohol in there? And he, he couldn't explain to, you know, a five-year-old, well, okay, Cody, you need to understand that we have these Christian liberties that we can do, blah, 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 blah. He just went, yeah, you're probably, okay, shoot. Um, and that was the last time he drank. Because he realized, if I can't explain it to him, then I'm probably not going to be able to explain it to a passerby who sees me as a representative of Christ in the community, and I don't have that opportunity to explain it to them. So, all that being said, I'm not telling you what you can and cannot do, unless it's explicitly said in the scriptures, don't do it. But here's what I do know. I would rather be as far away from the cliff as possible. Instead of where I see most Christians living, which is how close to the cliff can I get without falling off? And I've never met somebody who says, I, you know, one of my biggest regrets in life is I didn't live a little closer to the edge. Like I didn't live a little closer to that, that sin where I could really feel the consequence. I wish I was just a little bit more rebellious. No, I've never met anyone who said that. And so one of my things is not in a self-righteous or judgmental way, but I want to stay as far away from that cliff as I can. And uh, I think that's, that's something that's been lost in our culture. I could do a whole sermon on this. This is not even in my notes. I'm just freestyling this for your benefit, okay? So yeah, one of the things that's been in, in, uh, in the news lately, and if you've been paying attention, um, I think it was Mike Pence, but then there's been another guy who they got really, um, they got raked over the coals in the media because they said that as men, they would not meet with women alone. Right? And that was like this big deal, like, oh, they're sexist, they don't want to meet with women, and blah, blah. And um, this is actually called, like, originally, it's Billy Graham. Uh, it's his rule. Is he says, look, I don't want to be even in the, um, I don't even want to be tempted to do anything that I shouldn't be doing. And I don't even want there to be appearance of evil in my life. And so I'm going to draw these really big boundaries that people who maybe aren't believers, they don't understand. And they think, well, that's a little bit extreme. And here's the reason why. It's because as Christians, we were called to be set apart. God calls us out of the darkness into the light so that we may be set apart from the rest that we can go back into and we can be a witness to the world. And so if we're partaking in the things of the world, how are, we supposed to be, um, how are we supposed to be a light in the world? Some of the best conversations I've had with people was initiated by how different I was. And you think, yes, obviously, right? But what I mean by that is how different I was in the context of what they were doing, mostly parties. So it's crazy. I'm in my mid-30s. I'll be 35 this year. And it... The, the cycle continues to repeat. It's almost crazy to me is I found myself uh, a couple months ago in a backyard with a bunch of people who were drinking beers out of a cooler. And I thought, am I 16 again? Like, this is crazy. You own this house. Like, what are we doing here? You know, and it's just and 
And so many conversations were initiated between, hey, you want a beer? And I go, no, I'm, I'm good, thank you. And they go, whoa, why, why not? And they assume one of two things. Either you're in recovery or you're a Christian. And when they find out I'm a Christian, it's a great way to have a conversation. And I just got to have a, a significant conversation with someone. Why? Because I just lived a little bit different than everybody else. And so as Christians, we're called to be set apart, not in a legalistic way, um, but in a, in a way that I think inspires and challenges people. Okay, where was I? Okay, let's keep continue on. Uh, we're in verse all of three. Okay, in the eighth year of the reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his ancestor David. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of, of high places. So he's 12 years old, he's a junior higher, and he's going after culture, and he's saying, guys, you have been worshiping idols, we have to rid this place of idolatry, and we have to begin to worship the one true God. This is a message in itself right here, is idolatry is when you worship something that is not God, when you make something the ultimate of your life. And this is, this is the danger for every single one of us, is no matter what season we're in, there is something that is fighting for the number one spot in our life. I don't care if you're a junior higher, I don't care if you're 80 years old, there is always something that is fighting for the top spot of your life to become your ultimate. And so in this season of my life, the thing that is fighting for the top spot of my life is a really good thing. It's a good gift from God, but it is something that wants to become God, which is my family. God has gifted me with an incredible wife and three beautiful kids, and I just, I love them, and it's just one of the best things I could have ever hoped for. And because it is so good, it continues to fight for the number one spot in my life. And so all of us have to be aware of what our potential idols are. What is the thing that could take over our life if we're not careful? So for you, it could be your career. You guys are young, you're thinking about what am I going to do with my life, what are, it might be school, it might be a boyfriend or girlfriend, it might be, I don't know what it is, but there's always going to be something that's fighting for the top spot in your life, and we have to identify and demote those idols. Okay, continues on, we're going to skip down to 14. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. And so what ends up happening is he ends up getting rid of all these idols. He goes back to the temple that Solomon built. And by the way, if you don't know much about the temple and the scriptures, this is where God's presence would dwell. This is where they would come and they would meet God. And so it's unique in that we come to church to gather together to worship God. They went to the temple to actually interact with God. So he opens up the temple. He's starting to clear things out. He's starting to get, and he goes, whoa, there's a book in here. Let's check it out. Boom, get the dust off. It's the Bible. We thought they had all been destroyed, but we finally found a copy. And so he begins reading through the scriptures. And what happens is he's reading through it and he goes, okay, if I'm reading this correctly, we're screwed, all right? Because what we have been doing as a nation collectively is we have been rebelling against God. Like he gave us all these commandments. We have pretty much done the opposite of every single one. And then he says, if we rebel, he's gonna punish us. Kind of makes sense. We're in a real bad spot right now. And so maybe we should get ourselves back on track. So he sends a message out to somebody in the community who is a, a prophet. And he says to her, am I reading this correctly? I wanna make sure that I understand what the scripture is saying. She sends a message back saying, yup, you guys are in big trouble. And so here's what you need to do. This is a big one is you need to repent. And if you read through the scriptures and you're willing to have eyes that see it, this word repent and the attitude of repentance is everywhere in there. 
is you go through the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, it doesn't matter. Old Testament, this is what the prophets would do. The prophets would be sent by God as the mouthpiece, and they would tell the people of Israel, you need to repent, meaning you need to turn away from the lifestyle and beliefs that you have and turn back to God. You go to the New Testament, this is what John the Baptist did. He comes along and he says, look, there's about to be Messiah. God's about to do something new. What you need to do is you need to repent for the kingdom of God is near. And then right after that, Jesus shows up and he has the same message. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then you go to Acts chapter 2, first message that Peter gets. He jumps up in front of thousands of people and he says, you need to repent over and over and over and over. Because here's the key. There is no repentance or there is no salvation without repentance. If you want salvation, there must be repentance. There is no good news without the bad news. And so, he, so the, the, the prophet sends back the message, yes, you have been rebelling against God. You need to come back to him. You need to repent. Verse 29, then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. And so once... Uh, he rediscovered the scriptures. They repented. Here's what he did. He began to share this message with other people. He began to take this scripture and apply it in a practical way to his life and inviting other people into the process. Because this is what we do when we enjoy and we love something, right? Is there something intuitive that we have within us where whenever we love or enjoy something or we praise something, we have to bring other people into the process with us? right? Think about the last thing that you were super excited about. Like maybe it was a restaurant, maybe it was a movie that you saw, maybe it was, just, just think about that in your mind. Any examples? Give me one. What? What? Fishing, okay? So when were you most excited about fishing? Yesterday was a good day for fishing, okay. Did you go by yourself? Now, when you go, hold on, hold on. When you go fishing um, and you catch a big fish, do you just throw it back, back and tell nobody about it? Never. Are you dead inside? Okay. <laughs> ah, chill mode. He's lying. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's the thing. Think about this. Social media, Instagram, Facebook, all that is a bunch of pictures of crap that you and I don't really care about, but somebody else really wants to share with you what's happening in their life, right? And so, um, I, Chilmo, do you don't have social media or you do? You have social media. Okay. Do you ever share stuff on there? Okay. Like what's the last couple things that you shared? Photos from Guatemala. Thank you. God bless you. Okay. So think about this. He was passionate about something that he experienced in Guatemala. And so then he went online and he shared it with a bunch of people because that's what we do. When we're passionate about something, we enjoy something, we go, you have to come and, and be a part of, at least experience, see what I'm seeing right now. And so that's what Josiah does here is he says, look, I have rediscovered the scriptures and I want to invite you into this incredible uh, revelation that I have now experienced. And so the, uh, I think that, one of the big takeaways for us is, one, that revival has to begin with a pursuit of holiness in our own lives. The second is revival has to begin when we take the scriptures seriously. Is I, uh, I probably for the first 25 years of my life 
could not care less about the Bible. I mean, I, I believed it, you know, whatever what that means, and I kind of understood the big concepts and kind of the rules and all that kind of stuff, but it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s that I actually began to take this serious, and, and here's kind of one of the lights that turned on for me, is if there is a God, and this God has revealed himself through the person of Jesus Christ, and therefore the scriptures are confirmed to be his word, then it would be ridiculous for me to ignore it, right? It was just this new insight that I, and maybe for you, you go, yeah, duh. But for me, it clicked and I went, dude, I've been, I've been living my life completely on my own terms, and yet the answers have been here the entire time. And there is this awakening that you have to have where you start to value the scriptures. I can't make you like the scriptures. Maybe I can tell you a couple stories out of it and you go, oh, that's interesting. But, okay, uh, I heard this morning when we, were, we did a big survey at the church and we try to figure out what helps people grow closer to Christ, what helps them connect to the community, what do they like, what they don't like. And here is the big finding. I just found this out. Here's the big finding. People who grew spiritually had one thing in common. It wasn't their age. It wasn't how long they've been a Christian. It wasn't any of those things. It wasn't even if they've done small groups. It wasn't, you know what the thing was? This is going to be like, whoa. They read their Bible and prayed daily. <laughs> I know, right? It's crazy, revolutionary. We're going to start this movement where people read the Bible. Um, but there is something about the faith which it is not difficult, or excuse me, it's not complex, but it's difficult. That's kind of my big learning is it's not complex, but it is difficult. You can, you can, I can tell you, like, do these three things and you're going to grow closer to God, your life's going to change. Not complex. But for some reason, it's really, really tough. I tell you, read your Bible, pray, and show up here on a consistent basis. Those are it. Just do those things. Just do that. And your life will be dramatically changed. And you go, that's so simple. I need something a little bit more complex, please. It's like, no, no, no. It's simple, and yet it's difficult. Because there is something within us that continues to push against and rebel against just doing those simple things. And so, uh, so Josiah embraces those. He discovers the scriptures. He brings the people together. And uh, let's go on to the next verse here. It says this, verse 31. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, and to obey the words of the covenant written in the book. And so, uh, you know, this, should go have, this shouldn't have to be said, but I think we do is read the scriptures, pray, and then do what it says, right? That's it. You read it, you go, hey, this tells me that I should love God, and that I should love other people, and that I should serve people, and I shouldn't sleep around, and I shouldn't, okay, cool, I got it, done. And then I start to do that, or don't do that in some of those cases, right? It's it. It's not difficult. It's simple. It is so simple. I just wish I could just sh shake you and tell you, stop being dumb. Um, can I just do that? Can I just like tell them, stop being dumb? Stop being dumb. Ah. I'll shake you more, okay. Um, where was I? Where, what time is it? All right, five minutes. Here we go. Second Chronicles 35, 17, here's how it ends. 
The Israelites who were present celebrated the Passover at the time and observed the festival of unleavened bread for seven days. The Passover had not been observed like this in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel, and none of the kings of Israel had ever celebrated such a Passover as did Josiah with the priests, the Levites, and all Judah and Israel who were uh, there with the people in Jerusalem. Here's what this kind of the takeaway is. This is how the story ends, is when we just do the simple things, so there's a, okay, I heard this week, uh, I think it was Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson, golfer, Nicholson, who's, what, who's, Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, delicious, okay, so there's the famous golfer that I can't recall right now, but one of the things he would do, and this guy is a world champion, one of the things that he would do is before the U.S. Open, every single year, or no, before the Masters, before he would go into it, he would spend a week with his high school golf coach. And it's like, why would you spend time? This is a nobody, you know? And he said the reason why he would spend a week with them is because they would have an entire week dedicated to just doing the basics, looking at the fundamentals of his swing. Okay, are we just doing the simple, simple stuff? And he would spend an entire week with this high school coach. And here, this is like my, just, if you hear nothing, just hear this, is just do the fundamentals of the faith. That's it. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't, yes, there's some great exercises, great learnings, there's great books. I love all of that stuff. But if you're not doing just the fundamentals of the faith, it's not going to work. And I'm kind of tired of seeing people walk away from the faith. People who I believe who I believe didn't really get to taste what it means to be a Christian. They would walk away from the faith going, it didn't work, and I want to say, no, you just didn't actually try it. You tried to overcomplicate it. You tried to make it more difficult than it really is, and all you have to do is just do the basics. Just get the fundamentals under control. Don't worry about the other stuff. Just continue every day to get up and do the fundamentals. I'm going to talk to you today, God. I want to hear from you through your word. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to be in the community with your people, and I'm just going to keep showing up and doing those things. And so you guys, being as young as you are, you get to start some really good habits, things that I am not, I, if I'm being honest, I haven't even started to develop until recently, even as a pastor. But you have the opportunity to start developing those habits, those fundamentals, in which you can start to grow in your faith, and it's not complicated, but it is difficult. So let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for this group. We thank you for um, the opportunity to come here and to meet together. We pray for all the kids who are at camp right now and all the leaders that are with them, that they are um, not only having a great time, but they are getting to know you, and they're connecting with the community. And uh, Lord God, I just pray for, um, for this group as we head out in a very complicated and very confusing world, um, you just called us back to the basics, to continue to show up and do the simple things that you have called us to. And so, Lord God, give us that kind of insight, that kind of focus, uh, that kind of determination that we can develop those habits. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.